Good morning, everybody. My name is Cam. I'm not one of the pastors here at Commonway, um, but I have been part of Commonway for uh, quite some time. I actually started attending Commonway back in 2005. It was still just a young adult service back then, and I was a freshman at Ball State. Uh, I'll share a little more about that later. Um, my wife, Jessie, and I have been married for 13 and a half years. We have three kiddos, uh, Nora, Graham, and Amelia. There we are. They're between the ages of eight and two, almost nine and three. And that's us on a good day. Um, I won't show you what we look like normally. And I, I said this in first service, that if you have young kids, you know what I'm talking about. But people in first service don't have young kids. I'm talking to my people now. Um, glad to be with you. I, uh, I work at Ball State. I'm the head women's golf coach there. Um, and I've actually been coaching golf at the collegiate level for 13 years now. I did that at Taylor University for a long time. So I've got a couple of things I think that I am, I have like world class in. One of them is raking bunkers. And the other one is driving a golf cart while pulling a player's push cart behind me. And if you're not a golfer and you don't know what I'm talking about, um, just trust me. I am world class in those two things. I certainly feel way more comfortable in that setting, though, or maybe on a driving range than I do here now on this stage. Um, and so I, I'll share this with you. If you don't get anything out of today, you can come find me after the service, and I'll give you a couple tips to hit that draw. Um, I only had two people take me up on that after first service, so I'll call that a win. Um, today, we're celebrating the season of Advent, which is, it simply means, as believers, we are anticipating the arrival of Christ. In reality, we're anticipating the celebration of the first Christmas, Christ's first coming, but we also sit in this anticipation for his return, his second coming, when he comes to fulfill his promise to restore the earth back to its original joyful state. And I think even in the midst of this, quote, most wonderful time of the year, we can all feel the brokenness of the world, or perhaps more pointedly, the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of our relationships, of our dreams. And while the season of Christmas can be really joyful, I think it can also be difficult at times, sad and maybe even lonely. It's for that reason that this season of Advent isn't just about a countdown to Christmas. Although if you come to my house, the countdown for Christmas is very important. It's also about this anticipation for when Christ will return and make things right. There was a time, albeit brief, when the world was just as God intended it to be. We read about this in Genesis, about the world as God creates it. He separates light from dark, land from sky. He pours water into the oceans. He creates animals. And finally, he creates humankind in Adam. And as God creates, we read that he says it is good. You guys know this story. It's important to note here, though, that Genesis in the original Hebrew is written in a form of poetry. Now, one thing that I know to be true about poetry, I enjoy poetry, but I know this to be true because my wife is a middle school language arts teacher. Every single word in a poem is picked with intentionality and great purpose. So as you read Genesis, 
you can begin to feel this poetic rhythm of the text as God speaks each new thing into existence. God said, let there be light. There was light, and God saw that it was good. God made the sky and said it was good. Land and sea, God says it is good. Day and night, birds, fish, animals, finally mankind, and after each one of them, God says it is good. The poem's rolling along. We've got this nice rhythm. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it's like this beautiful poem hits a good old Muncie pothole, a record scratch, if you will. We read in Genesis 2, 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I think it's interesting. The first thing in the history of mankind that God describes as not good is what? For man to be alone. This idea of being alone, what we might call loneliness, I think is at the core of what feels broken in our world. So after Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they start by hiding from God. And they create this self-inflicted loneliness. Then if we fast forward just a couple of chapters in Genesis, we get to Genesis chapter 4, and we read about the first murder in human history. Merry Christmas. I know that's what you were all coming for this morning. We read about Cain. He uh, murders his brother, Abel. And then as punishment for this wrongdoing, God tells Cain in Genesis chapter 4 that he will be a restless wanderer. Or in other words, he will not have a place or a people to call home. And we can see that Cain understands that this loneliness, this sentence from God, is a death sentence. He responds in verse 13 of Genesis 4, my punishment is more than I can bear. So we have Adam and Eve followed by their sons Cain and Abel. They kind of set the scene for us, showing how brokenness enters the world. Through their disobedience, we get sin, and in turn, we get separation and loneliness. This is the setting into which God dreams up and sets into motion his plan for restoration and redemption, a rescue mission That was all systems go come the first Christmas morning. A rescue mission that was God's response to our severing of a relationship with him for our allowing pain and loneliness a foothold in the world. Now, I would say you probably don't need a lot of convincing that this problem of loneliness is as pervasive and destructive now as it's ever been. I think living in a world of lockdowns and isolation probably opened our collective eyes to just how debilitating loneliness can be. But I'll share a couple of quick facts here just to underscore the point. First, in the late 2010s, 2016, 2017, sociologists here in America made a startling discovery. For the first time since the 1960s, the average American life expectancy was actually declining. 
meaning Americans were dying on average slightly earlier than in years prior. After significant research, these scientists discovered that this drop in life expectancy wasn't due to any sort of pandemic. This was all pre-COVID. But it was actually due to an increase in what scientists termed preventable things. These included young suicides, drug overdoses, alcoholism, and other things that sociologists all lumped into this category they called deaths of despair. I think we could call them deaths of loneliness. After all, where does despair really live? Furthermore, researchers discovered that chronic loneliness is more dangerous to a person's health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Some experts has even, have even gone as far as calling our current state an epidemic of loneliness. It's almost as if this God that created us, he knew exactly what was good and what was not good. It is not good for man to be alone. I know that probably all of us can relate to this. We've all felt some loneliness before. It can be suffocating at times. I also think it can be difficult to define exactly what we experience in those moments. So today I'm going to share a definition I read in a book by Justin Whitmer Early. Uh, the book has provided a lot of the material for today's message. It's called Made for People. In Made for People, Early says loneliness comes in many forms. Losing a loved one, moving away, changing churches, seeing friendships dissolve, being excluded, experiencing a breakup. And for some of us, that was just junior high. <laughs> but I think loneliness can also occur in a, a different place. That's when we are surrounded by everyone, but we don't feel known by anyone. Let's pause on that last one for just a second. I, I think we've all experienced that to some degree. You're surrounded by people, maybe even people who are friends, maybe even family, but you're not fully known. I know I've felt that way before. It's like this fog of loneliness kind of settles in. I would argue that this type of loneliness, the type where you have friends, you have people in your life, but you're not completely known, is maybe what we suffer from the most in our current state. You know, we're more physically connected than ever in any other, than any other time in human history, but we're perhaps more spiritually isolated than ever before. There's this current in our modern lives that seems to kind of sweep us ever so gently along this river of loneliness. It's at a rate so subtle that we don't even realize where we're headed until it's too late. So we can actually say that loneliness is at the core of this human suffering. We all know what that feels like. This is the world we live in, right? A world where we can connect with anyone anywhere around the world pretty much by the click of a button, but we seem overcome by this pervasive loneliness. As Early describes it, the death sentence of loneliness is like an enormous waterfall at the end of the current. And as you see in all the cartoons, you never realize you're going anywhere until suddenly you're at the edge of the waterfall and there's nothing you can do. That is, unless someone who is bigger than you 
stronger than you and who loves you runs down the shore and pulls you out of the water. That someone is Jesus. When Jesus entered the world, he came to redeem and restore us to the Father, absolutely. But he also came to earth so that we could be restored to one another. If we can go back to to Genesis, we think about this. Genesis chapter 2, when God looks down and says, it is not good for man to be alone, this is actually before the fall. Sin has not yet entered the world. Adam is living in perfect harmony with God, and yet, in that moment, God looks down and goes, hmm, something's not quite right. It is not good for man to be alone. So, we not only need a connection with our creator, we need connections with one another. We need those deep friendships. In fact, Jesus actually frames his salvation mission through the lens of friendship. Look at John 15, starting in verse 12. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then he continues in verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, I chose you. We can see in Jesus' words that he places an incredible value on friendship. He knows that being a true friend means to know and to be known. He even makes a point to say that he wants to make everything he's learned from God the Father known to us, his friends. And it's clear that the Father also wants to know us. In Eden, we were actually made not just for God, but for each other, to be fully known and fully loved. No room for loneliness in that. In the fall, though, we lost this. We now live in a world where, at our core, to some degree, we feel unknown and we fear we are unloved. Or maybe that's just me. We run away and we hide. Our loneliness breeds more loneliness, and we spend our lives as perpetual, restless wanderers. So I, as I told you earlier, I began attending Common Way in the fall of 2005. I was a freshman at Ball State, and Common Way was at that point just a young adult service. I wish I could remember who actually invited me to Common Way for the first time, I'm sure it was someone I met through campus ministries, but whoever it was, they could never have imagined the impact that their invitation would have on me all these years later. And I I remember enjoying coming to Common Way, especially enjoying the teaching of this young hotshot pastor. Um, I thought Common Way would be a good place to spend my college years, the few Sundays when I would be in town. But it was just going to be for a short time, because I was only in Muncie to get my degree at Ball State, then I was out of here. 
Lord, not so fast. Um, here we are 18 years later. I never left. Of course, the Lord has had other plans. Common Way became uh, more than just my college church. After I finished my bachelor's degree, I got married, started working on my master's, and I got a job nearby at Taylor. Then as Jesse and I got married, we stayed in Muncie, but all of our college friends left town. That's kind of how it works. And so I think for the first time, really, with no family nearby and all of our college friends hitting the road, Jesse and I both began to experience some of this loneliness. We were still coming to Common Way, but it didn't exactly feel like home. We came in, we sat, we sang songs, listened to the music, and we left. Maybe said good morning to the same people. And I still remember sitting with Jesse and saying, I, I like Common Way, I just don't feel like I know anybody. We both yearned for something more. We, we yearned to be known, fully known, and fully loved. Now, Jessie, if you know her, you know this to be true. She's always been more intentional about building and maintaining relationships than I have. She kind of started nudging me to us to join a small group. And intuitively, I thought this would probably be a good thing. I'd probably get to know some people. It might even begin to combat this loneliness that I felt. But I also knew what it would require, and I was not excited about that. It would mean giving up a little time, my time, each week. It would mean putting in some work to slowly, painstakingly build new friendships. It would mean showing some vulnerability. It would likely mean spending some time with people that I didn't have much in common with, maybe even people I didn't like that much. It was about that same time when Jesse signed us up to teach the four- and five-year-old class here in Commonway Kids. Now, she's the teacher, so that fits. I'm not. Truth be told, I did not want to do that. <laughs> I liked being able to just show up and do my thing in the service and leave, and the idea of dealing with snotty four- and five-year-olds was not appealing to me. But uh, I think Jesse knew, deep down, we have to invest a little bit. We have to get involved. And so we began teaching the four- and five-year-old class once a month. I didn't realize it then. I realize it now because I have kids that I send down there. Those people are saints, um, and I am so thankful for them. There were also a couple of guys in that first class that you might recognize now. One of them was playing the drums today, Cove, uh, Silas Carter, uh, Malachi Dubois, some guys that you definitely know about. So it was also in that same time frame when we did join our first Common Way small group. And I'd love to stand here and say it was a magical experience and we made lifelong friends and it was amazing. Um, the reality was it was good, but it, it was not perfect. Um, there were times that it was hard. There were people I didn't have much in common with and there were people that I didn't always understand. I'm sure they felt the same way. If you're in my first small group, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but we did begin this process of investing in our church, and maybe more importantly, investing in relationships with one another. Slowly, Jesse and I moved from young adulthood into parenthood. That's quite a shift. And loneliness 
when you have time to feel it in those moments, it still can be there. But we did continue to make an effort to be involved at Common Way, and more importantly, to be invested in some friendships. We took a little break when we had two kids under two. Um, we were just surviving at that point, but we took a little break from small groups and then came back about five years ago. We joined another small group. We both desperately needed deeper friendships. And I can still remember after like the second week of meeting with our small group, I looked at Jesse on the drive back and I said, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but I think we might have just found our people. And we had. I don't even really consider us a small group anymore. We're just really good friends. We are deeply involved in one another's lives. We go on trips together. We go over to each other's homes. We share joys and heartbreak. We've been through a lot. We've been through births and deaths, marital struggles, new jobs, and just the general day-to-day beatdown that life can deliver. But through it all, I know that my life is so much more rich now because of those friendships. It is not good for man to be alone. I have people who fully know me, fully love me. It's a sense of belonging. Now, quick disclaimer here, it's not a small group commercial. I think small groups are great. They were great for me. Um, it's not the only way to make friends, uh, thankfully. Um, and I also know from my experience that like, not all small groups turn out the way that um, ours have, where you have these lifelong friends. They serve their purpose. But for me, it was a perfect avenue because I needed some structure to be able to invest in some relationships, into friendships. I also know as I share some of that that there are probably plenty of people here who don't have what I'm talking about. And so today's message, I hope, is um, provides some hope for you. You know, as we consider what Christ came to restore when he came born in a manger 2,000 years ago, it was much more than just restoring us to the Father. I believe he came to bring hope for restoration for us to one another. Through this shared grace that we can experience, we can learn to fully know, fully love one another. I love this quote from Early. He writes, friendship makes ordinary life seem sacred. Boy, have I found that to be true. A couple of weeks ago at the conclusion of uh, the fall season for my team at Ball State, I sat down with each of my student athletes. We did some individual meetings. And one of the questions that I always ask them is if you could change anything about our team culture, what would you change? I usually get some interesting answers. Um, but this year, all nine of my student athletes shared something similar, something along the lines of, we really love the team. We just wish we spent more time together outside of golf. Now, I always joke with them, I'm your golf coach, not your social life coach. Um, but I did think it was interesting that they all shared this same desire. In other words, they all really wanted to be deeply invested in one another. They wanted to be known and loved by their teammates. It's just part of the way we were made. 
We all have that desire. As I thought more about this, I thought, why is it that all of them can want the same thing, but it still doesn't seem to happen? Like the execution doesn't seem to be there. And then I thought about my life, and I thought about our current cultural moment. We all want this deep friendship. We want to be known and loved. We're hardwired that way. But there is, for all of us, this disconnect between what we want and what is required to get it. We're all kind of suffering in this epidemic of loneliness. We just can't seem to figure out what to do about it. So this morning, I thought I'd share just two practical first steps. First, I want to acknowledge, I think we, deep down, we can all convince ourselves that we're the problem, um, that everybody else has their people, everybody else has their friends. I'm really the only one who feels lonely, and uh, we can convince ourselves of that pretty easily. I actually think the reality is that we're all kind of like kids at a middle school dance. Um, we're all standing around the edge. We really like the music. We would like to dance, but we're not sure that anybody else wants to dance, so we're going to stand by the side. We're definitely not going to ask anybody to dance. Am I the only one that felt? Okay. Um, what I have found to be true, however, is that we're all desperate for this friendship. We deeply desire to be fully known fully love. One of the aspects that I love about the Christmas story is that God actually provides this blueprint for how to move into deeper relationship with one another. He demonstrates it in the way that Jesus comes to earth. He comes in the most vulnerable way possible. A newborn born to a teenage mother, no hospital nearby, no doctors, I don't know what the survival rate would have been if you had statistics, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't super high. So God demonstrates in Jesus entering the world that in order to enter into relationships, we got to take on some vulnerability. So practical way to practice some vulnerability. A good place to start would be saying exactly what you mean. Now, I know this is really difficult, maybe even dangerous at times. There have probably been times people have said exactly what they mean to me, and I wish they wouldn't have. But I also think if you're going to move into friendship, you've got to be willing to do this. So let me just encourage you to try this at some point this week. Maybe just call a friend or meet them for lunch and tell them how much they mean to you. Or you can just share your gratitude with a mentor and let them know just how much they've impacted you. I think sometimes it starts by just confessing, I want our friendship to be more than it is right now. And that kind of opens the door. I think you can also do this with your spouse or with your kids or with your family. For me, I, it means I have to put down my phone, quit playing solitaire, and uh, invest in being present. But that's really where it begins, right? You got to say what's on your mind. And then the second, master the art of just showing up. 
Once again, a lot easier to talk about this one than to actually do it, but I think it's vital if we're going to build some friendships. I have this bad habit. I know this about myself. I'm pretty reluctant to commit to things. In the back of my mind, I always think "Eh, something better might come along, or I might not feel like doing that when the time actually comes. And so I think for years, actually, this probably hindered um, or stunted the growth of my friendships. But it's actually the reason that for us, for me, a small group was this perfect cultivating ground for relationships because it was built into my schedule. I had to go. I had committed to it. And so even when I went and I didn't always feel like it, by being there, by just showing up, friendships begin to happen. I know that left to my own whims, I'll be a flake. No Christmas pun intended there. It's a trait I dislike about myself, but I do know myself well enough to know it's just kind of part of the way I am. Now, I know it's December. I know we've got busy lives, and we're busy all the time, but during this month, it becomes almost unmanageable. I propose that maybe we try to replace just a little bit of the busyness with some intentional relationship building. I can't think of a better investment during our Christmas season. So for me, what that means is I got to schedule it. I got to schedule a time to sit down with a friend. For me, it makes showing up so much easier. It can be coffee. It can be dinner, maybe just a walk. I don't even think it has to take that long. But when you schedule a time for it, it has a much better chance of happening. I was back at Taylor on Friday night for the uh, Silent Night game, so I was seeing a bunch of old friends, and I had several of them uh, that I interacted with that said something like, we should get together soon. And uh, I mean well when I say, yeah, let's do that. But if I don't get my phone out in that moment and say, what are you doing on Thursday? Would lunch work? It's probably not going to happen. That's just the reality for me. I think we've got to make it a priority. Early puts it this way. A schedule helps you get better at saying no to the tyranny of the urgent so you can say yes to what is really important, cultivating a life of friendship. I think we feel the urgent during the Christmas season. Maybe we need to schedule some time for cultivating friendship. You know, showing up consistently, being vulnerable, it creates the soil for deep friendship to grow. Now, it doesn't happen quickly. You all know this to be true, that there's likely growth under the surface before you can see or feel anything tangible. But if you can begin by just showing up with an appropriate level of vulnerability, I think you're on your way. You know, when, when Jesus came to earth to become a vulnerable baby, who would grow into a man that experienced the brokenness of the world, he did so for you and for me, so that loneliness and isolation don't have to be our story. When he endured the pain of his closest friends betraying and denying him, When he hung on a cross, suffered an agonizing death, 
He did so for you and for me so that we can share in collective hope and freedom. We can know that our restoration, both to the Father and to one another, doesn't depend on our own work. And we can be vulnerable with one another because we can be safe in Christ. As we celebrate Christ coming to earth, and as we look with great anticipation toward the time when he will return, let's lean into this restoration that Christ's death and resurrection make possible in us. Let's collectively and personally invest more deeply in our friendships. That's where we can experience beauty in life. It's only through those deep friendships. And in the midst of a broken world filled with a cultural current that moves us toward isolation and loneliness, let's fight for one another. As followers of Christ, let's be a beacon of hope and light. And as a body of believers here at Commonway, I think we should lean into this vulnerability and intentionality required to deepen our relationships. I hope that Common Way is a place where we can come to be fully known and fully loved. That's my story. That's definitely what Common Way provided for me. If you would, stand with me. Let's pray together and then I'll close us with a benediction. Father, we know that when you sent Jesus to earth, he took on so much vulnerability. He experienced the brokenness of our world to restore us. We celebrate Lord, that Christmas is when we know you loved us so much you wouldn't leave us behind. Lord, be with us during this time as we celebrate with our friends and our family, especially when things are hard, when loneliness creeps into our world. Help us to feel loved by you, our creator, but Lord, give us courage to lean into one another. God be with us. Thank you for coming to meet us. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing, I'll close with a benediction. As you celebrate Christmas, may you know that you are fully known and fully loved by the creator of the universe. And as you spend time with family and friends during the Christmas season, May you be propelled by love that drives out loneliness and replaces it with a sense of belonging. Go in peace.